I think uh, one of the great privileges of being a parent uh, is that it makes it, or, or a grandparent, I suppose, as well, just not been there yet, uh, that, that it, would, it makes it okay for you to just sit back and enjoy children's stories. Because there's some really good children's, whether it's, whether it's in the form of a book or a movie, there's some really good stuff out there. And a lot of times you've probably noticed that children's stories have a point that they're trying to make, some lesson that they're trying to teach, right? And, uh, and so uh, you think about a story, but, but here's the thing that can happen with children's stories. You can miss the point. So, for example, the story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears, okay? Goldilocks and the Three Bears... You could learn some good lessons in that story about not trespassing. Okay, it's like trespassing, not a good idea. You could learn that lesson from that story. But if you thought that the point of the Goldilocks story was that if you have to leave in the middle of breakfast, be sure you nuke your porridge in the microwave for like eight minutes so that if a little girl shows up, yours is too hot for her, so she only takes one bite of yours, so you still have some left when you get back. Then you've kind of missed the point of the Goldilocks story, right? Or, or the movie Frozen. Like, I got to watch this because I have kids, uh, and a lot of people have watched that because you've got kids or grandkids or, or maybe you don't and you just wanted to. Um, but you can learn a lot of lessons from Frozen about the importance of sacrificial love in the context of a family. A lot of good lessons there. But if you thought that the Frozen movie like the biggest lesson you learn from that is, if you're ever a snowman and you have to sneeze, be careful not to do it around a moose. Like, that would be an interesting lesson, but that's not the point, right? And so, we're coming to a book of the Bible called Jonah. Um, and, and it's a story that's told many times, at least the first couple chapters, many times to children, but it's not just the children's story. Jonah is a true account of something that happened in the 700s B.C. And it's recorded in God's Word, and it's not mostly about a fish. Did you know that? Jonah is not mostly... I say Jonah, you think fish, right? When I say, I, I say Jonah, everybody thinks fish. But Jonah's not mostly about a fish. You know how many times the word fish shows up in the book of Jonah? Three times. It shows up in the Gospel of Matthew ten times. And nobody says Matthew's about fish right? The book of Jonah is not mostly about the fish. The fish is important, but it's not mostly about the fish. The story of Jonah, the book of Jonah in the Bible, is not just a made-up kid's story about fish that's good for Sunday school lessons. It's a true story about God's merciful pursuit of all kinds of people, okay? That's what the book of Jonah is about. And we study the book, we're going to take four weeks now, one week in each chapter to study the book of Jonah because the God of the book of Jonah is the same God that we worship today and he never changes, right? And so the God who is mercifully pursuing all kinds of people in Jonah's day is still the God who is mercifully pursuing all kinds of people in our day. So you might be the kind of person that feels like at this point you're not sure what the purpose of your life is that God probably couldn't use you for anything significant, that you've messed up too much and you've run too far from God and it's too late. And you need to hear the message of the book of Jonah that it's not, that God is still mercifully pursuing you and he has a plan for work in and through you. You might feel like you've got people 
people that you love and care about that are just a lost cause, that they're, they're too far gone, that they'll never change, they'll never turn to God. You need to hear the message of Jonah too because God is pursuing them and part of God's plan for pursuing other people is using us to pursue them. So here's the purpose of the series, okay? Here's why we're going through the book of Jonah. We're going to do this for four weeks. That'll leave one week before Christmas where we'll do something a little more Christmassy. Um, But we're going through this series as a follow-up to our series in outreach because of this. Here's the purpose, that we would respond as a people to God's merciful pursuit of us by repenting of our sin and being obedient to God's plan to mercifully pursue others through us. Okay, so God's got a plan. He wants to pursue other people, and God pursues us in order that we might pursue others, okay? So that's what I want to see happen as we go through the book of Jonah. So if you're able to, uh, would you stand, and we'll read God's word. The book of Jonah is little. Um, It is a minor prophet called minor, not because it's minor in importance, but because it's small. So there's 12 of those in a row that end the Old Testament. So if you're getting to like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're in the New Testament. Right before that, there's 12 minor prophets, and Jonah is one of them. So it's a short little book, 48 verses in the whole book. Um, But Jonah, uh, let's pray first, and then we'll read the Word of God. Heavenly Father, I pray that right now... um, as we hear what for many is probably a very familiar part of a very familiar story, would you, by your Spirit, remind us that this is not just a, a story? Um, although it is a story, it is a part of your bigger story, of a work that you were at work doing um, 2,700-some years ago, and a work that you continue to be at work doing now. Would you do a work in this place for your glory, even as we read your word now? In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the word of God. Jonah chapter 1. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? Of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? 
for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know that it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard, trying to get back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. But they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Go ahead and be seated. Correct a mistake really quick. It's four times, four times that the word fish shows up. Two in chapter three and then two in chapter four. So four times, but it's still not the main point. Here's what we got today. Uh, right here, um, there is in the bulletin again uh, a sermon outline, and on the back of that's an application guide. Um, so, so go ahead and take that out if that would be helpful for you to follow along and maybe take some notes as we go through that. Well, we are in the book of Jonah. We are in chapter 1, and you'll notice in your outline the big idea today is that the omnipresent God, that means God who's present everywhere all the time, mercifully pursues the disobedient okay that's the big idea today and the first point is super super long here's the first point the omnipresent god pursues jonah with his word but jonah disobeys god's command to go to a great city okay i probably could have summed that up a little better than that but that's what i got okay all right so that's point number one we're going to look at verses one to three we're going to spend most of our time actually in verses one to three and then in verse 17 and we'll spend some time as well in the middle But if you look at verse 1, we get a little introduction, very little introduction, but some introduction to Jonah. We're going to be spending four weeks here, so we better get to know who this guy is, okay? Here's what it says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, and then it says, here's what God had to say. Saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, here's, here's some stuff we don't know. We don't know who wrote the book of Jonah. Nowhere in the book of Jonah does it tell us who wrote the book of Jonah, so we don't know who wrote the book of Jonah. We don't know when the book was written. Um, and so, so there's a couple of things that we don't know, but here's what we know. The book of Jonah is about a prophet named Jonah, whose dad's name was Amittai, and Jonah the prophet lived in the 700s B.C. We know that from the book of 2 Kings, chapter 14, verse 25. Okay? So Jonah, a prophet living in the 700s B.C. Now, one thing we also know, we've got to look at Jonah in the context of the whole Bible, right? So here's one thing that we see clearly happening in the Bible, generally. And we're going to see it more specifically in Jonah. Okay? In the Bible, we are, what is revealed to us is a God, the one true God who pursues people that they might pursue other people. It starts way back in Genesis 12, where God pursues one man, Abraham, promises him that he will have descendants as numerous as the stars in the heavens, and through Abraham and through those people, God intends to bless all the nations of the world, right? So God chooses, God pursues one people so that through them he might pursue all people. Does that make sense? 
right? So that's what we see in the Bible. We see that in the Old Testament, and we see that in the New Testament, right? That God pursues people. He saves people. He calls them the church, right? And they're, they're sent to go out that he might reach all peoples, right? So we see that very clearly all throughout Scripture, and we're going to see it here in the book of Jonah too. God is telling Jonah specifically, I want you to go to a great city. The name of the great city is Nineveh in the, in the area under the authority of Assyria. Okay, So he's calling him to go to Nineveh. Verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. God's message to Jonah is really quite simple. Okay, not very complicated. He's just saying, Jonah, I'm coming after you with my word, and my word to you is go to Nineveh. It's a great city. Their evil has come up before me, and I want you to share my message with them. So he's sending Jonah out to do that. Now, God, this is not rare for God to send out prophets, right? God was sending out prophets over and over again, but typically... God would send out prophets to go to the northern and southern kingdom, Israel and Judah, to his own people, to talk to their kings and to his own people, and that's where God would send the prophets. God, though, is taking a different approach with Jonah. He's saying, Jonah, I don't want you to go to Israel. I don't want you to go to Judah. I want you to go to Assyria. Go to their capital city, Nineveh, that's known for how evil it is, and that's where I want you to go. You take my message not to people here, but to people there. So he's sending Jonah out. Prophets would speak often of God's judgment and God's mercy, and that's what he wants Jonah to speak about as well. In the book of Jonah, we're going to see Jonah wrestling. Okay? Jonah is struggling because he's not sure how to, pers- how to respond to God's pursuit of him and God's pursuit of these evil Ninevites, right? So we're going to see Jonah wrestle. So I think we're going to be able to relate to Jonah as we go through this book. God's pursuing an evil people in an evil city in the land of Assyria. That's the powerful, intimidating neighbors of Israel that they are scared of. They're scared of these people because they're evil. And God is telling Jonah, I want you to go and share my message with them. Whew! Okay, so, so we understand, we want to see what Jonah thinks of God's plan. Look at verse 3. <laughs> but Jonah rose. God told him to arise, so he obeyed, right? He arose, except for he did it to flee to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. He goes down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare, went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, and it says it again, away from the presence of the Lord. What's Jonah trying to run from? God. Right? He's trying to get away from the presence of the Lord. God tells him what to do. He does the exact opposite, and he's doing it because he doesn't want to. We're going to hear a lot more. In chapter 4, we're going to hear more about why Jonah doesn't want to go. You might think it's because he's scared of the evil people. We get to chapter 4. You can go ahead and look ahead if you want. Chapter 4, we'll find out that's not really the reason that he's not going. But here, he's not going and in doing so, he's scared. He, he wants to flee from the presence of the Lord. That's what we know from verses 1 to 3. All right. Application. This book is so full of application. I'm not gonna, you're not going to have time to process everything that I'm going to say as we go through Jonah 1 this morning. 
That's why we have the application guide on the back of the sermon. I want you to wrestle with this this week. Take some time to go through it, okay? Here's three questions that popped out at me out of these first three verses for application, okay? Three questions. Question number one is this. God desires to reach the nations, do we? Okay? That's a good question to ask. You, you see that very clearly here in Jonah 1, 1 through 3, right? God has a desire to reach the nations, even the evil neighbors of Israel. God wants to do it, and we've got to ask ourselves, do we? doesn't seem like Jonah's very motivated by that at this point, and we've got to ask ourselves, are we like Jonah? God has a heart. God has a desire. God is pursuing the nations, and he desires to do it through his people, do we have a desire to reach the nations? It's a good question. Uh, you know, and, and, and interesting to think of when you think of uh, even just kind of putting this in modern day kind of stuff. You know where uh, Nineveh is in modern day Iraq, okay? In Iraq right now, there are over 30 million people living in Iraq. Less than 2% of them are Christians. And it's not easy to be a Christian in Iraq. And are there evil people living in Iraq? Yep. Would God be calling one of us even here today to go to Iraq? Certainly could. Does God have a heart for the nations? Does he, does he cut out some nations? Like, I don't, I don't really care about those people, right? They got their own issues. They can deal with their own issues. You just, you just, you just take care of your own. I, I don't see that being God's heart all throughout Scripture. I don't think that should be our heart either. Right? So we need to ask ourselves that question. What if some of them are evil, though, God? There's terrorists all over the place. Yep, God has a heart to reach the nations. Do we? Second, what is God calling me to? And am I being obedient? It's a good question to ask, right? If you're God giving a very specific call to Jonah, we need to ask ourselves, what is God calling me to? And am I being obedient? We just got done with the series on outreach, challenging us to to be intentional about thinking about talking to other people about Jesus. Maybe you kind of felt like God was pushing you to talk to somebody about Jesus, but you're like, okay, glad that series over, right? I don't have to feel guilty that I haven't done that yet. Uh, what is God calling you to, and are you being obedient? Third question, do I long to be in the presence of the Lord, or am I running from Him? Good question to ask, looking at Jonah chapter 1. Do I long to be in the presence of the Lord or am I running from Him? Am I scared of being exposed for who I really am? Do I want to hide myself from God? Here's the truth. God already knows everything about you and He's pursuing you still. Right? You know that? God knows everything about you. The stuff that you've kept secret from other people, God knows about it anyway and He still wants you. He's pursuing you. Right? He's coming after you. Don't run away. Run to Him, towing all your baggage behind, ready to just lay it at His feet. He knows you got baggage. Bring it with you. Drop it off. Don't run away. The omnipresent God pursues Jonah with His word, and Jonah disobeys God's command to go to a great city. So is that it? I mean, that wouldn't be much of a book, would it? Verses 1 through 3. And, and the book's not done there. You know why the book's not done there? Because God's not done. God's going to keep on pursuing. He's going to keep on pursuing Jonah, and he's going to keep on pursuing other people too. So let's look at verses 4 through 16. Now, I'm not going to reread all that. I just read it all to you. We're going to look at a couple of verses, and then I'm going to summarize kind of what's in between. But in verse 4, we read this. 
Verse 4 said, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Great storm comes, right? And Jonah gets on this ship that's headed the opposite direction of Nineveh. He gets on this ship. I, I, in my kids, uh, one, of, one of our favorite kids' Bibles, um, when they're telling the story of Jonah, um, what Jonah says, and, I, and it still pops into my mind all the time, what Jonah says is when he goes and he's trying to get that, that ticket on the ship in the opposite direction, he just says, one ticket to not Nineveh, please, um, which I think is a great, uh, a great line. I mean, he's like, I don't care where I'm going. I'm just not going where God told me to go. So I don't want to do that. One ticket to not Nineveh, please. So that's what Jonah's done, right? He's taken one ticket to not Nineveh, and he thinks he's getting away from God. And then, so like the last words in verse 3, away from the presence of the Lord. Verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. He can't get away from him. That's the point, right? He's trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. And as he's trying to flee from the presence of the Lord, he's out on the sea. God sends a great wind, a great storm, right? And so then we could go on, and, and you heard me read the story earlier. Jonah's sleeping through all of it. All of these other, these other um, mariners are on the boat, and they're scared for their lives. They're all calling out to their own gods. They worship all sorts of other gods, so they're all calling out to their own gods. That's not working. Like, oh, there's that one guy. And he told us, remember earlier, he told us he was running away from his God. And so let's go get him. So they go and they wake him up. And they get Jonah up and they're like, arise, you sleeper. What do you mean? Call out to your God. Like, give yours a shot. None of our gods work. Maybe your God will work, right? It's kind of what they're thinking. So they say to him. And then we get down to verse 7. They assume that it, the storm is somebody's fault. So they cast lots to see who it is. Lands on Jonah. Verse 9 says this. Let's look at verse 9. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So in the midst of his unfaithfulness, there's still faith there, right? He knows who he is. I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord God, the God who made the he the, how does he say it? The God who made the sea and and the dry land, the God of heaven, right? So he knows, he still knows who God is. He even says, now his actions don't seem to line up with this very well, but he says he fears the Lord, right? I mean, we can relate to that. We say that, but do our actions always line up? Not so much. I mean, here he is trying to run away from him. Verse 10, verse 10 says this, Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. They know it's Jonah's fault. Jonah knows it's his fault too. So in verses 11 and 12, he says, go ahead, throw me in. If that's what it takes, throw me in. Now, interestingly, who's, who's the first people to show mercy here in this book? These guys. He says, throw me in. They're like, no, we're going to try. We're going to try and row hard and get back to land. It doesn't work, so they say, okay, fine. We'll go ahead, and we'll throw you in. And so, after throwing Jonah in, the sea becomes calm. And notice how God wasn't only pursuing Jonah with this storm. God's also pursuing these sailors, because now they get it. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. 
pretty cool. All these guys worshiping all these different gods. Their gods don't really work out for them. They see the power of the one true God. Because Jonah has at least the heart to tell him that's who it is. He's the Lord God, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. That's who I worship. That's who I'm running away from. That's who sent this storm. And these guys get it. I mean, they got a lot to learn yet, but they get that much that the God that Jonah worships is the one true God. They fear the Lord exceedingly, want to make sacrifices and vows to him, right? God continues to pursue all sorts of people, people you'd least expect. Now, a couple points of application from this section. From this, this middle section of chapter 1, a couple points of application. One would be this. You can't flee from God's presence. Okay? You can't flee from... Jonah thought he was getting away. One ticket to not Nineveh, please. But the Lord hurled a great wind and a great storm rises up. You can't flee from God's presence. Psalm 139 Maybe, maybe you know Psalm 139. Psalm 139, starting in verse 7, says this, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, which is what Jonah's trying to do, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. You cannot escape the presence of the Lord. Jonah was trying he couldn't do it. And sometimes, interestingly, sometimes when hard times come, hard times come into people's lives, their reaction is to blame God and run away from Him. Right? And maybe you've done that before. Hard times have come and you've just gotten angry at God. And you've turned away and even tried to run away. I don't want anything to do with that God anymore that would do that kind of thing and not rescue me from this. The truth is, though, and it's good truth that you can't run away. That sometimes the storms, the hard times might be God's way of disciplining those that he loves to draw them back to himself. I wonder if Jonah had some regrets as his body hit the waves and he started to sink into the sea. Second point I think of application from that middle section is this. Our disobedience affects others. You get that out of this? Our disobedience affects... These guys were mad. They were mad at Jonah. They knew that this storm came because he was trying to run away from the Lord. These guys weren't doing anything wrong. I mean, well, everybody's doing something wrong. But you know what I'm saying, right? Jonah gets on the... And that's the reason that God sent the storm that threatened their lives. Because Jonah was being disobedient. And so our disobedience affects others. And we know... I mean, we see how this... We're like... Parenting, you know, like you're two minutes into vacation and two of your kids are fighting like crazy with each other in the car. I'm turning this thing around. We don't have to go on vacation. You know, we can, we can do the U-turn. We go back and nobody's going on vacation because you two can't figure out how to get along. Right? That kind of thing. Our disobedience affects other people. Jonah's disobedient to God's command. He's running away. God sends this storm after him trying to think of, okay, so let's think of a specific application of this, kind of tying in with what we were talking about in Sunday school this morning. Husbands and dads. Husbands and dads are called to be servant leaders in their homes. So that's a command that God gives to us, a role that God gives to us. When we're disobedient in that way, does that affect others? You bet it does. 
when we as husbands and dads are not teaching the Bible in our homes, not leading our family in prayer, not loving our wives sacrificially, not disciplining our kids intentionally, not helping our family to manage money and time well, not sharing God's word, not, not, not giving intentional and specific encouragement, loving people. In our, when we're not doing that, guys, that affects our whole family. When we're disobeying God's clear command to step up as a servant leader, our whole family gets affected. I've seen that happen in my life. When there are seasons when I'm just worn out, I get really selfish, and I live life for myself. I just try to make it myself, and I don't care all that much, as much as I ought to, as a servant leader in my family. And when I live that way, that affects my whole family. Our home devolves into a place of chaos and fighting and whining and complaining instead of a place of refuge and security and love. We're disobedient. It affects other people. But one other point I can't can't go without making is that's not not the end of it. Because God can even use the disobedience and sin and messes that we make for His purposes. These guys, how else would they have known about the God of the Bible if Jonah hadn't been disobedient to God, gotten on their ship, and God hadn't sent a storm? So so we can make the biggest mess possible, mess stuff up even for other people, and God can use even that for his purposes, right? So our disobedience affects other people, but don't think that the God of grace and mercy can't still use you and change things even though you've been disobedient. All right, one more point. One more point is this. The omnipresent God pursues Jonah with a great fish. You see God very actively at work. First, in in verse 1, God speaks to Jonah. In verse 4, God hurls a great wind. And then in verse 17, the Lord appointed. Okay, It's not like this just randomly happened. Like there happened to be this fish swimming through like, oh, dude, swallows him. You know, that, that's not the way that it worked, right? The Lord appointed a great fish. God is actively at work in all of this. God's merciful pursuit of Jonah, who's been thrown overboard and is sinking into a sea, is swallowed up. Interesting way that God would be merciful and pursue Jonah, isn't it? That he sends a great fish to swallow him up that will hold him for three days and three nights. Now, spoiler alert for next week, he gets out. Okay? Um, He gets out. I don't want you living in suspense. Uh, He's going to get out. But here, we just need to pause and be amazed at God's grace. God's grace coming to Jonah in the form of a great fish. Jonah was sinking in the ocean, plummeting to the bottom of the ocean to his own destruction. Why? Because of his own disobedience. He knew of God's power. He knew of his own guilt. He has enough faith to tell the sailors that he feared the Lord, the God of the heaven who made the sea and the land. It wasn't the sailors' fault that Jonah was sinking. It wasn't God's fault that Jonah was sinking. It was Jonah's fault that Jonah was sinking. He was disobedient, and he was now paying the price for it. But does God give up on him? Nope. God continues to pursue even the disobedient. He saves Jonah's life by sending him a fish. Application for us, listen. 
hear this. While we are drowning in a great sea of our own sin, headed to our own destruction, and it's not anybody else's fault, it's ours. While we are drowning in a sea of sin, God sends us a Savior. Romans 5.8 says, while we were, God shows His love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's good news, isn't it? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's where I was headed. Into a pit of my own destruction. Nobody's fault but my own. But the very God whom I had offended. The very God whom I had disobeyed. The very God in whose presence I didn't even want to be. That was the very same God who loved me enough to send His Son to die for me when I was drowning in sin. Do you believe that? you believe that God loves you and sent His Son to die for you? Jonah didn't obey God. God said, I have a message that I want you to get to these evil people. And Jonah didn't go. But Jesus obeyed. Jesus was sent by the Father to take on human flesh, to be born of a virgin, and to come to an evil people. And he didn't say, I don't want to go. They're too evil for me. I don't want, I don't want you to show your grace and mercy to those people. They don't deserve it. Praise be to God, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus came, and he willingly died on the cross for our sins. That's the good news that we see in chapter 1 of Jonah. We hit it on it at the very end of the week, end of the sermon last week. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'm so grateful, aren't you, that we serve a God who graciously pursues the disobedient. We cannot flee from his presence. We cannot out-sin his mercy. Right? He keeps coming after us. He's not going to let up. You've messed up. You've failed. You're broken. It's okay. He'll come get you. God loved us enough to send His own Son to die for us. What do you do? What do you do with a God who mercifully pursues lost people like us? There's a lot of things. And I think one thing we do is we praise Him. We worship Him. We give Him thanks. We trust Him. We obey Him. We say, God, if you've done that for me, I'm going to go ahead and do what you called me to do, as hard as it might be. I think that's pleasing to Him. And in the end, I think that's what makes us happy, too. Um, I love I love the book of Jonah. Now, most people know chapter 1, and you know the end of chapter 2. Just, just, just let you know, we're going to go through all four chapters of Jonah. Um, you, you, when you've gone through it, maybe in Sunday school before, probably not our Sunday school, because our Sunday school curriculum and our teachers are pretty awesome. Um, but maybe when you were a kid, uh, you went through and, and you kind of, they skip out because you know what? Chapter four is hard. I challenge you the first application point this week, read the whole book of Jonah at once. It's 48 verses. You can get through it pretty quick um, and be noticing some things. But, but we're going to do the whole book of Jonah. There's some really good stuff coming. There's a lot of stuff that we need to learn from this Old Testament book. I'm grateful. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying greatly just studying it. I hope we're going to enjoy the time that we have together in it. And, and I hope that in the end, what we will do is we will gladly obey 
the God who loved us enough in our disobedience to pursue us and who desires through us to pursue other people, that we would gladly obey him and find happiness and joy in that. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, that's uh, we, we looked at just a couple weeks ago um, in, in, in your word where you say that you desire that all men would be saved. That there's not people that don't make the cut. That there's not people that don't, don't, don't make the list. All people. You're, you're after all people. Not all will be saved. Only those, though, who hear the message that you want us to share. Only those that hear the message of a God who created them. A God who is holy and worthy of worship, but a God against whom we have all rebelled and disobeyed. A God who is just and must punish sin. And a God who is so merciful that he would send his own son to die on the cross for our sin and be raised for our justification that we who trust in him would be declared righteous. What a gift. What a gift. As we come into this season of thanksgiving, there's really nothing that we could be more thankful for than that, that you would pursue people like us. So we're thankful for your continued pursuit of us, even when we've disobeyed and made a mess of things, that you can use even that for your purposes. And I pray that you would help us to trust you, to trust your plan, even if it sounds different than everything that that, that our mind tells us, everything that our heart tells us. If you're clearly calling us to something in your word, help us to be obedient. Need your help with that. We don't want to naturally. But I pray that as we, as a church, trust you more and more and obey you more and more, that we would find more and more joy in you, that we would gladly talk to other people about the joy that comes in knowing Jesus, that they might, too, turn to trust him and be obedient to him. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If the worship team could come up and we'll just sing one more song together, a song that was written a long time ago. Uh, called Trust and Obey, uh, saying that, hey, one of the ways that we find happiness in Jesus is when we just trust and obey. Uh, Sometimes we make things really complicated when it's not really God's message to Jonah, not very complicated, very clear. God's message to us, not very complicated, very clear. We want to be people that trust and obey Him. So why don't you go ahead and stand, and we'll sing that closing song together.